You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, and with me today is special guest, co-founder and owner, Michael Parkhurst. For those who don't know about the native Rhode Islander, Michael is an MLS Rookie of the Year, MLS Defender of the Year, six times MLS All-Star, U.S. Open Cup Champion, Danish Super League winner, Danish Cup Champion, an MLS Cup champion, having played with the New England Revolution, Columbus Crew, and Atlanta United. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. That was a that was a lot to uh, have to say there. <laughs> I was a mouthful. <laughs> so uh, I learned recently that you are still a resident of Columbus. I I didn't realize at the time kind of where you were living, and I found out that yeah, you still reside in Columbus. I do, yeah. So we obviously had moved here from Europe, and uh, this is the first time we had bought a house and settled in. And then, of course, as the game of soccer does to you, uh, we got traded, went down to Atlanta, and, but we kept the house here because my wife uh, fell in love with the area. And so, happy wife, happy life. So here we are, back in Columbus, Ohio. So recently I saw that you attended the MLS Cup final how is observing that game as a fan and not a player? And have you noticed a significant amount of growth in the game since your retirement? Um, yes, I have. Um, you know, I think that every year the league gets better and better. Um, it was awesome to be there. It was a great atmosphere. It really made me miss the game and, and miss those big games. You know, m- most often I don't uh, miss playing. I don't... Um, wish I could go back, but in those big games, uh, I definitely get that sense like, oh, I miss that feeling. I miss the big games. Um, But it was fun to be there with my son. We enjoyed it. Were there any key takeaways or styles of play that you saw emulated at the MLS champion level that you want to make sure we bring back to Rhode Island FC? I know that Coach was able to uh, take some of his coaching certifications with Wilfred Nancy uh, at the USSF level, and I'm just curious if if you've had any conversations with Coach about that kind of style and structure. It, it looks like he might be building something akin to that here with uh, with our club. Well, Wilf- Wilfred Nancy definitely has a unique style of play and what they do there in Columbus and how they have so many small little passes in the middle of the field and the way they build up and take risks. And, um, you know, so I definitely think that we're going to uh, implement some of that. Um, you know, Kano definitely has said that he wants to build out of the back, dominate the ball. Um, but, you know, we want to be adaptable um, with different styles of play, um, unique to who we have on the field and who's on our roster. Uh, so we don't, we don't want to try and fit a, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole. So some of that will be based on who we end up signing and filling out the roster with. Um, but, you know, one thing I learned about my time in Atlanta is how important it is to have um, offensive firepower and, and a, an attacking team that can put fans on the edge of their seat because, um, you know, what we were able to do down there in Atlanta and the crowds and the noise and the anticipation and 
how, how they felt coming into the stadium and the energy, a lot of that was revolved around the team that we had and the, our ability to score quick goals, lots of goals, and, and just uh, get after teams. And I think that's important, um, you know, when you're trying to build a, a fan base and, and attract new fans. So hopefully we can bring some of that to the team as well. Speaking about what you're building, we've shared how fellow co-owner and co-founder Brett Johnson wanted to start a club here in Rhode Island. But we don't really know the story about how you got attached to the club yourself. How did that happen? And what does a club in your home state mean to you? Yeah, I didn't. <clears throat> I wasn't even aware this was 2020 or 2021. Uh, I can't remember. God, time's flying. Um, I had gotten on a call with Brett Johnson actually about other business, and I wasn't even aware that he had laid the foundation for Rhode Island FC. Uh, and then we connected offline from that, and he told me about the project and and he had wanted to get me involved. And um, basically, as soon as he told me about it, uh, I was like, heck yeah, um, I want in. Because, you know, growing up in Cranston, you know, I, I went to Stingrays games growing up and, you know, played against those guys at some summer camps and, and hung out with them and just really enjoyed going to those games and, and looking up to them. And, um, you know, obviously that was prior to even the Rebs being there. Um, you know, and, and it was great to have the revs, um, don't get me wrong, but there's definitely something different when it's, it's your hometown team and it's in Rhode Island and it's Rhode Island's team. So, uh, I definitely wanted to be a part of it and, and bring, you know, that to Rhode Islanders and hopefully a, a, a new generation of, uh, soccer players and soccer fans. Did you imagine that your post playing career would look like something as a co-owner of a, of a Division II soccer club, what was going through your mind uh, as you entered that post-career mode? Uh, was there anything else? Uh, did you know that you wanted to be connected to soccer uh, in, the, in the future? Well, I knew I wanted to stay involved in the game somehow. Um, but I, I knew coaching was not it for me. Um, you know, I was done with that lifestyle. I uh, wanted to be around my family more and, and around on the weekends uh, to enjoy my, my kids and their sports um, and, and just, you know, family get-togethers and things like that. And, and coaching is the same lifestyle as a player, you know, probably even more actually um, demanding. So it definitely wasn't going to be that, um, you know, so it took, took time trying to figure it out. And then this opportunity came in and it was like, yeah, this is, this is exactly... Um, something that's up my alley and how I can leave hopefully a footprint um, in the history of, of soccer in Rhode Island, which is, which would be fantastic. Does your unique journey through the sport bring the ownership group a different perspective at Rhode Island FC? I've, I've noticed looking at other ownership groups that typically they lean heavily more on the investment side or the business side. I don't see always a lot of soccer specific players, coaches uh, brought into ownership groups and where they are brought in, they seem to excel at a greater level than the strictly financial transaction type of owners. Yeah, obviously the finances is important, right? Without the finances, there is no team. So um, don't get me wrong there. Um, but, you know, I do think it's important that you have people that have seen um, and gone through and witnessed um, what 
what soccer teams are all about. How, how do you have success on and off the field? What's important? And, you know, obviously I've, I've been around the world and, and had a lot of experiences at the highest level. And, um, you know, I think that I do bring a, a different um, and unique uh, background and perspective on a bunch of things. And I've seen some clubs run differently than others. And from my perspective, what typically works and what doesn't. And, you know, that was one of the most important things that I, I said when I joined the the ownership group is, you know, I want to be a part of a club that's going to do the things the right way, you know, treat players the right way, have the right setup, take care of guys, um, and just be run properly, right? Good human beings. Um, that was super important. And, uh, you know, Brett Johnson um, thought the same way. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that I can have uh, that good impact and, and hopefully lead to that success that you're talking about right out of the gates. But, um, you know, I guess we'll see. Are there any new lessons you've learned as an owner now that maybe are differentiated from your time as a player? <sighs> How much politics are involved? <laughs> Um, how much red tape there is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always easy when you're on the outside looking in to say, Hey, just do this or just get this done. Or why isn't this going faster or, or whatnot? And it's just, um, there's so many moving parts and people involved and, um, different aspects to things. And, and obviously we are navigating a difficult time to, put a team together, build a stadium, um, with the, the challenges around the economy. Um, but yeah, there's a whole lot of that on the outside of sporting side that, um, obviously I've not been privy to through my entire career, but just learning things about the, the business, right. About marketing and season tickets and, and, you know, even the buildup phase of, you know, team name and colors and badge and, crest and what everything looks like and, and just so many decisions that you know as a player you just take for granted you just show up kick a soccer ball and everything else is taken care of uh so you know being part of um the group that takes care of all those other things um is has definitely been eye-opening and interesting for me do you think that we are over the hump of those politic related and uh you know charged opportunities when it comes to economic development and just getting the stadium and the team out there? Or do you think there are still obstacles and red tape that exist for us to overcome before we play our first game? Um, I hope so. Um, to be honest, I separate myself a little bit from that. I'm like, guys, you let me know what I need to know. Otherwise, I'm focused on the sporting side of things. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm of no help in that regard. So it's kind of like, um, you know, if, if I can't be of help, then, you know, just let me know what's going on every now and then. So um, to be honest, I'm not super involved in that aspect of things. Um, but I, I hope um, that most of it is behind us. Um, I, I'm not going to be naive to say, hey, I'm sure it's smooth sailing from here on out. Um, because just how things have gone in the past, it's, that would be crazy to think that way. But hopefully the worst is behind us. And, um, you know, I think that we're getting close to kicking a soccer ball. And um, the nice thing is, I think the focus will be on that, um, you know, once once that starts occurring. Agreed. In addition to 
you know, Rhode Island FC, I, I've learned and done research uh, on what I'm calling your other passion project, which is your Beyond Goals mentoring program with former teammate Greg Garza. What motivated you to start the the mentorships? Yeah, it's um, something I'm I am passionate about and enjoy doing. Um, <clears throat> we had Greg and I played together down in Atlanta, and we signed our first batch of homegrown players when I was playing there. And you know, these kids are. 16 to 19 year old players signing their first contracts and none of them ended up getting a second contract and you know that's that's a real shame obviously because now you're 20 to 22 years old haven't gone to college right or what what's next for you hopefully a usl team um hopefully another chance somewhere um but it's tough and the problem wasn't that they were didn't have the talent on the field it, it was a bunch of other things and so that was eye-opening to me and but also once i retired i started hanging around the academy and down there in atlanta united while we were still living down there this was just pre-covid and um just getting to talk to some kids and understand what they're going through and the pressure that they're under you know these mls academy kids and and, and even you know, on the girls' side and the ECNL and on the boys' side, all, all these different, you know, acronym leagues where you're trying out year after year. It's just so much more pressure than what I was under as a kid um, to perform and to play. And, you know, with that is, is tough. It's tough for these kids. And so I just wanted to be there to help them navigate some of the off-the-field challenges. Like we're talking about, you know, dealing with confidence and overcoming obstacles and handling pressure. Um, and what happens if you get cut from a team and how to prepare for a, a, a showcase or a tryout or, you know, at the, at, the, at the upper end, you know, how to prepare for college or, or for high school and, you know, dealing with agents or, or deciding between college and pro. And, you know, a lot of parents haven't been through these situations. So, I, you know, we felt like we had a unique perspective to help kids and families navigate their journeys. So uh, it's been really fun and, and learning a lot throughout this process. So, um, you know, hopefully I can implement some of this up in Rhode Island. Speaking of developing youth, you yourself were an Academy Breakthrough player, having played with the likes of Bayside here in Rhode Island. As you look at the road ahead, what do you envision as that future partnership between RIFC and the many youth academies here in the state? Yeah, it's definitely something that we still need to walk through, navigate, um, have discussions. You know, I think that we've got um, great relationships and partnerships with with the clubs already, um, but exactly how we feed some players um, into our system, hopefully later on down the line, we need to figure that out, right? We, we don't envision ourselves having our own academy, right? Uh, we don't want to um, burn any bridges or, or take take the best players in the state or anything like that, right? They're doing great where they are. Um, and so how, how can we help these, these programs um, train their players and get them uh, opportunities? And, and how can we um, develop the next couple of Rhode Islanders that can play professionally for our team um, instead of going to the revolution? So, um, you know, those discussions and ideas are, are flowing and, um, hopefully will come to fruition here, um, you know, over the, over the course of time, there's no set deadline on things, but there's, there's no doubt, um, 
there's a high level of interest within the state. There's obviously a, a bunch of teams that we uh, are tracking and, and are aware of, um, and there's talent out there. So we want to make sure that we're aware of that and, and helping that talent to, you know, get the best pathway they can forward. Is it a difficult space to navigate, one, with Rhode Island being the tiniest state, um, but two, in terms of this, the, the local geography of soccer youth, and knowing that it has to be navigated amongst other clubs like uh, Hartford uh, and the Revolution, is that it is it more of a challenge here than say in a in a more soccer rich uh, larger area like other places in the country? I would say so, yeah, because you know I think that there's some USL uh, teams that have their own academies, uh, and that's that's great for them. But that's not realistic for us because of, you know, what I talked about. We're not just going to come in and, you know, all of a sudden try and take the best players in the state. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't bode well for relationships in Rhode Island. So that's, that's not our goal, right? But how do we impact the youth and how can we help and how can we facilitate the, the next set of pros within the state? So um, definitely some unique challenges, um, but something that uh, we're aware of and, and want to, you know, figure out what's best for everyone involved. Um, you know, I think that there's too much politics and too much um, people looking out for themselves only in youth soccer. And, you know, hopefully we can slowly change that. I see it all the time. Um, not in Rhode Island, um, I'm talking about through my mentoring, which most of it is down in Georgia, but I see it all the time. And so, you know, how can we take best steps together and, and look out for the kids and what's best for them, um, while keeping relationships and partnerships. So, um, you know, a lot to navigate, but we've, we've got time. We're not trying to, like I said, initiate or implement anything like, you know, starting in January. I, I think that's that's a fair statement. I also know that with your mentorship and youth academies, it's challenging at times to bring young players into different areas of the country for opportunities. But I have to ask, is there any opportunity or connection for the talent that you've seen and helped shape in your time down south or where you are now to help, you know, support Rhode Island FC's uh, player investments? I hope, I hope so, right? That's part of the reason why I'm, I'm you know, I have a unique um, skill set to bring to the ownership group, right? I have a lot of connections within soccer, both here in Columbus and, and down in Atlanta and, and, and obviously some in Rhode Island as well. Um, and just understanding like best practices and not only that, but level of play and what's going on with the crew Academy versus Atlanta United Academy and how is youth developing and, um, and they don't have it all figured out either, right? The, these MLS academies are young, right? They were not even around when I was playing, um, you know, first playing that is with the, with the revs, right? These, these are academies that have been only around for a decade, right? So they're figuring out a lot of things as they go, as we can see with all the rules around in homegrowns and territories. And, you know, MLS is, is figuring this stuff out on the fly. Uh, so, um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into youth development, but surely um, Kano and I and the rest of the staff will 
and have been scouring the country, um, not only looking for talent, but uh, understanding where hotbeds are, who's doing what, and what's being successful. Uh, you know, Kano has said this in multiple interviews, and I've actually heard you in a couple of uh, podcast interviews yourself say that youth players are an investment that needs to continue to be developed because they are underserved in multiple leagues. I'm curious, with that being the case, do you see the shape of Rhode Island FC being an investment in that youth in the sense of looking to build and trade players uh, to other leagues. I know you've said specifically that it's not something where we want to be a feeder team, and, and I know we want to steer clear of that. But do you see the the future of Rhode Island FC as one that's primarily invested in, in the youth and collegiate game? There's no doubt that we're going to have a heavy imprint in, in those players. Um, I will say that in startup mode, we don't want to have a bunch of youth players and college players um, because we want to be competitive and win right from the get-go, and you can't do that with a bunch of uh, younger players, right? You need veterans, you need uh, older players that understand how to win uh, as professionals and what it takes. So um, it's not like we're going to be a, a super young team um, at, right out the get-go. That being said, we understand um, that the sport is just getting younger and younger and there's so many opportunities out there for younger players and there's no doubt that we see younger players being developed in usl now and doing well and then being sold on to mls teams european teams um, and that's that's great for all parties right that is uh, would be a great sign for rhode island for our coaching staff for our ability to develop players um, obviously financially for the club Right. But then you're also building partnerships out in Europe and um, then they've got an eye on your players and your teams. Right? And, and you become known for that. And so uh, there's no doubt that we want and expect that we'll sign some younger players and, and try to develop them. And that takes time. Right? We we understand that it's difficult for younger players uh, to come in and have success right away. But to give them time um, and the confidence and a safe place to to develop, uh, that that's the goal. And you know, does that mean that we'll produce a young player every year that could be sold off? Of course not. You know, but uh, if we can find a, a couple of gems and develop them, that would be fantastic and uh, definitely something that we, as a group, would love to do. In signing Kano Smith as head coach and general manager and your former connection to him, how has it been to watch Kano's evolution from player to coach and what's it like to work with him on this project? Yeah, it's been awesome. You know, Kano and I have a really good relationship, obviously, going back a long time. You know, and I knew that he was a student of the game a long time ago. Um, there are certain players that, you know, understand the game really well or always talking about the game, you know, to watching European games, dissecting things. And Connor was always like that. Um, so it was no surprise to me that he um, got into coaching after his career. And obviously I've kept tabs on him. Um, you know, that being said, the most weary of Kano, just because I didn't want to make it seem like, you know, that he, he was getting a job based off of a, a friendship or anything. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that he earned it. And so, um, and that he did, you know, I interviewed over probably 30 candidates. And uh, Kano was the most prepared, the most knowledgeable of the league, um, most informed, uh, and most 
eager. Um, so, you know, he, he absolutely um, deserved this opportunity and happy to provide that for him. And, you know, he's taken it and ran with it. He's been super organized. He put together a fantastic staff, uh, a, a really good um, experienced staff who's full of good human beings. Uh, and, and he's doing the same with players. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult um, putting together a whole roster of players, especially with the amount of movement that's going on with USL, um, players, you know, in and out of MLS, there's just a lot of moving parts. And um, I think he's navigating it really well. Uh, expectations are obviously high. Um, but, you know, we've got a great relationship and all the trust in the world in Canada to, to put together, um, you know, a good team and um, a team that you know, we as ownership, and fans and, and, and people of Rhode Island feel good about. From that standpoint of, you know, as a as a former player, now owner, what were some of the critical requirements that you were looking for in the head coach position? We wanted someone <clears throat> with experience in the U.S. Um, you know, we got a lot of candidates from outside of outside of the U.S. But in my experience, um, mostly at the MLS level, it's very difficult for a foreign coach to come in and have success right away. Um, and that's, and that's uh, with those coaches usually taking over a roster, never mind putting together an entire roster. So when, when we're thinking about putting together an entire roster and how unique um, the U.S. landscape is, we knew we needed somebody that had experience here. So that was first and foremost. Um, experience within USL was a bonus, um, something that was looked upon as very favorable, but not a necessity, but then just had the, the desire and the hunger. Um, you know, we need somebody that can wear multiple hats. That's got the, the hunger to push and work nonstop and, um, you know, develop players on the field and off the field and take care of things and do things the right way. Um, there's a lot being asked of Kano and, um, you know, we, we think that he can live up to it though. You've said that you, from day one, want to make sure that this club puts out both an exciting product but also competes uh, at a winning mentality uh, to reach out for success. As someone who has both won a ton of trophies and accomplishments, you've also been at the precipice of losing in those critical moments. So for you personally, what does winning and success mean? You know, I think... <clears throat> Winning trophies sometimes is a, is a toss-up, right? I mean, you can have a very successful team and, you know, have a bad game in the playoffs and, and miss out on a trophy. You know, you can be the favorite going into uh, three MLS Cups in three years in a row and, and still somehow lose all three of them. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have a winning team and a successful team. Um, so we, we've told Kano that, right? We, we understand that trophies is not necessarily the measuring point. Trophies are tremendous, right? But DC United won an Open Cup trophy the year that they won about two MLS games um, the whole season. So, you know, it's, it's just crazy sometimes. Um, but we, we want Kano to build a successful team that's, that's, you know, winning more games than losing and exciting and puts fans on the edge of their seats and 
you know, doing it the right way with the good people, right? Where, you know, we know that we've got uh, an onus to give back to Rhode Island as well, right? So players that are, are involved in the community and good faces out there uh, and good role models for citizens and, and for younger players. Uh, so there, there's more to just, you know, kicking the soccer ball and, and scoring more goals than the other team and, and, and winning trophies. It's more about the longevity of it as well. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a long way of saying uh, wins are important. The best team doesn't always win, uh, and, and we understand that uh, in, in any 90-minute game. Um, but having the opportunity and the team that's set up for success is, is most important. In other interviews, you've described your desire for Rhode Island FC to become the quote-unquote living room or main staple talking point of the state. The club has gone on to make some incredibly powerful partnerships uh, in the community that represent both Rhode Island or the, the spirit of Rhode Island. But can you elaborate further on kind of the off-the-pitch efforts or goals that you want to see come to fruition for Rhode Island FC? Yeah, I think that we're starting, you know, with the soccer fan. But, you know, similarly to, you know, what the Patriots have or something. And, and don't get me, don't, don't get me wrong. We're, we're, we're light years away from, like, the Patriots or anything like that. Um, but what I'm saying is that you don't have to be a football fan to follow the Patriots, to understand what's going on, or to even want to go to some of their games. Um, and, and we want that same thing in Rhode Island, you know, down the line, right? To where people can come to a Rhode Island FC game that aren't necessarily, they don't know what offsides is and they don't know what it, USL is. Um, that's fine, but they know a couple players and they know that we represent Rhode Island and that we play fun, exciting soccer and they're going to have a good time. Uh, they're going to enjoy the atmosphere at the game. They're going to um, enjoy being at a sporting event outside, part of their community with a good atmosphere um, and a great night. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about, where, you know, people want to be a part of that. And, you know, I saw it down in Atlanta. It was, you know, a bunch of people that didn't really know that much about soccer, but heck, they wanted to go out there and have a good time. And we on the field provided that for them. In terms of season ticket memberships, multi-game ticket plans, and single tickets, where do you define success in those groups? Is it making sure that the season ticket memberships are secured, or is it winning those hearts and minds on the people that are willing to come out and, and watch a single game? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, it's a combination. Obviously, the season tickets are, are important, um, and that's the base to go off of. But we also understand that we need to earn some of those season ticket members, and we need to earn um, their hard dollars that you know they, they earn and, and that hopefully that they want to spend with Rhode Island FC. And so you know, we understand, and that's why winning from the get-go is so important for us is, um, you know, we've got a, a unique situation from the get-go to show who we are, what we want to be about, and earn people's um, eyeballs and trust and dollars. And, um, you know, in doing that, you know, we can do that a number of ways, right? Connecting with them outside of the stadium, and creating bonds, providing a, an awesome game day experience, 
um, and also an exciting team to watch. And so we want to do all of those things. Um, but we also understand like, hey, there's going to be a bunch of families and, and people that only come to a handful of games year one. Um, that's okay. But can we turn around and um, do those three things so well that they become season ticket members year two? Uh, so, um, you know, there's a lot of work on that end. Um, obviously there's, you know, uh, a lot of trust we need to earn out there. Um, and we're up for the challenge. Speaking of the schedule has finally been released and there's been a lot of talk online about the fixtures and the opponents ahead, both in our Eastern conference, as well as the West, uh, what are maybe some of the most excited uh, fixtures that you see on the schedule that you're looking forward to watching? You know, I think that w when I was looking at it, obviously game one was super important. Um, you know, we, we've all been wondering, okay, what's the date? Uh, who are we going to be playing? Who are we going to open up against? Um, so that one, obviously super important. And then I think from there, we're like, okay, when do we play Hartford? Uh, what do the, the home games in the summer look like? Um, you know, the first thing I look at is how many midweek games do we have? What is the travel situation? Um, so, you know, those are the types of things I was looking at when I looked at a schedule, like where, where's the bye week for the guys? Um, obviously, we play Hartford um, home in August, in, in early August, I think. Um, at the end of a, a three-game week, uh, so that's that's on the schedule that we're looking forward to. But um, bringing Phoenix in obviously is is special, um, just because of Brett's former connections there, um, and, and obviously all the Eastern games. They're they're big games, um, you know, and just to see who who becomes that rival, right? I know that we talk about Hartford because of location, um, but also develop also rivalries develop on the field. Um, when I was playing with Atlanta, some, for some reason we developed a rivalry with the Red Bulls just because um, those games were always super intense. The way that we played, the, the tactics were so different, you know, and so, you know, in playoff games, um, we just matched up well against them. So, you know, you never know who that um, fire is going to um, come against. I was really shocked about Rhode Island FC having its first match in the history of the club be a home match. Historically, New England teams try to avoid the incremental weather of those, you know, winter months. And we are powering through and delivering a, a first ever home game. I don't think it's been done in, in some of the research I've shared, but that has to be just rife with, with unique challenges of hosting a game in, you know, what could be very cold, very wet, very snowy weather, uh, to win the fans over what are you guys thinking about differently for for hosting that first game yeah um it's definitely unique um you know hopefully it does bodes us well because we're playing it's new mexico so uh i don't think that they're going to be coming from quite the same climate so hopefully that <laughs> it'll bode well for us um you know, yeah, it's challenging, right, to be outdoors in mid-March. So hopefully we get a little bit fortunate and, and lucky with the weather. Um, but, you know, I think that there's obviously a, a lot of a big aura around game one. Always when a, a new team opens up, 
right? And so we want to take advantage of that. Football's in the cold weather, so we we know fans can go out there and and brave it. And you know, I think that you, sometimes there's special memories made in, in that cold weather, right? Imagine. You know, we look back 10 years from now and think back, oh, God, remember that first Rhode Island home game where it was snowing and it was a crazy, we had an orange ball out there, yet the team won and how awesome that was, right? It would be a great memory. Uh, so I think no matter what the weather's like, um, because it's game one, the guys will be up for it and hopefully the fans will be up for it. I, I agree. Those are the moments that are made. Are, are you going to be in attendance? For sure. Absolutely. Have you considered any naming conventions for the Derby between Hartford and Rhode Island FC? I know that those should be organic and, and come from the fans, but has anything popped into your mind? That's a good question. Um, only because it hasn't. It's never been brought up. No, I guess we you know usually leave something like that to the fans to try and figure out. And you know I don't even know if it needs to be named before the first game. Maybe something unique happens. Um, you know, or throughout the season, you know, things occur or whatever. Um, I, so no, um, this is literally the first time I've ever thought like, oh yeah, the Derby probably needs a, a name. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I mean, you never know, like El Trafico sounded like the silliest thing. And now it's just, that's what it is out in LA. Um, you know, so who knows, hopefully uh, the fans can come up with something creative that, that sticks. I'll be really excited to to hear what those uh, ideas and concepts will be. But I agree, it, it will probably and most likely come from the fans. Switching gears, uh, some heavier topics that I want to make sure we get to, to ask. MLS has recently come out with a position that they are abandoning their first team presence in the U.S. Open Cup. As someone who has won it all back in 2007, what does that news mean to you? And what have been your thoughts since the announcement? Yeah, I think it stinks. Um, I was surprised, you know, I think that, I think MLS is le leaning into this leagues cup with Mexico and putting the onus on that versus open cup when they're thinking about, you know, schedule congestion. And, um, you know, I think that's a shame because there's such history in, in the open cup. And, uh, if, if MLS teams don't want to play their starters, like that, that's been the case for a lot of teams for many years. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. Um, you know, you, you sprinkle in a couple starters with a bunch of reserve players and that's it's awesome opportunities for those reserve players. You know, there's there's always an aura about the cup because anything can happen. And I and I witnessed it in so many open cup games, right? Where you travel to USL teams and you travel to lower league teams and you just you never know because it's the opportunity of a lifetime for those teams. There's just crazy things that happen that are fun to be a part of and to think back about. And uh, with just such a rich history, it's just so crazy that they would pull the plug like that. Um, so, you know, I know that there's been a big uproar, rightfully so, within the community. And so hopefully, um, you know, MLS can maybe redact that and, and think twice about it. But that, that would be a real shame. As an owner in a club that now it, it, at the current stage would be at the top of the soccer pyramid in terms of competitive level, this positions a club like Rhode Island FC to potentially earn one of the CONCACAF berths for champions play. Does that, is, is that a silver lining here? Or is it more of a, like you said, the tradition of the cup needs to be preserved? Yeah, I think the latter, first off, you know, I think that that's most important, right? We don't even know yet 
with MLS pulling out, do they do they pull the Champions League um, spot away? Right, it, it, it's so much um, in flux right now, and I know that there's conversations going on right now um, with the leading heads and trying to figure all this stuff out. But first and foremost, I think that we we want MLS to to remain in the competition. You know, I think that uh, that that's important for just the history of things and the competition um, in general. So, um, you know, that, that that's the goal, I think, right now. Um, and then just figuring out what happens and, and, you know, the snowball effect of the decision. You know, is, is there a silver lining if there still is a Champions League spot available? Sure. But, you know, I think that it would be a disappointment for everybody um, if MLS is no longer involved. Would we still go out there and try and win it? Absolutely. Recently, with the announcement of RGV Toro's folding and not entering in 2024 play within the USL, the USL Championship, as an owner, what does USL need to do to continue to evolve and grow? Is it is it are they already on the right track? Is it this pro rel conversation? Is it something else? It seems like we get new teams, but then sometimes due to circumstance, whether that's MLS or other obstacles, we we, we don't seem to remain in a constant. What are your thoughts there on, on the continued evolution of the league? Yeah, I think that we definitely need to look out for each other um, and understand everyone's experience, what they're going through, their challenges, um, uniqueness about markets, um, and, you know, understand that we're, we're stronger together as one. So um, that that's important. And, you know, it's, it's also a lesson like, hey, we, um, we need to make sure that uh, business-wise, right, we're, we're taking care of things and we're doing things the right way and we're set up for success long-term, right? This is not a, a short-term game. We don't we're not trying to win a couple of championships. We're not trying to Florida Marlins this thing, you know, win a couple <laughs> of championships and then just, you know, tank it. Um, right. We want to be set up for the long run. And, um, you know, that that's definitely what we're trying to do here from the get go. Does USL need pro rel to, to differentiate itself? Do you subscribe to that? I don't think it, I don't think it needs it. Um, USL has got their landscape um, in, in North America soccer. Um, it's, it's definitely the best division two league, um, in North America, you know, and there's a unique spot in it here, um, in the soccer community. You know, if, if we develop pro rel, does it separate us a little bit more for sure? Um, makes it a little bit of a differentiator and a uniqueness to it that maybe doesn't exist. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it for sure. It would just come down to how how would it be done? Um, what would the format be? You know, is is the schedule staying the same? Are we going to an international calendar? Right, there's a lot of moving pieces around it, but I'd say in general that uh, Rhode Island would be supportive of it. And as you look at the at the games ahead, the season ahead, what is your compass or your barometer for? our our success I, I know i asked you earlier what success looks like but if you were to go on the record now for a wins draws and loss column or even an end of table positioning what, what to you is is the right feeling for a new team entering usl yeah i think the competition's getting better every year we're seeing it in this off season with player transactions and salaries and contracts um the league is is moving fast and and that's great um 
but that also means that it's it's more difficult to have success right away. And I'm not making an excuse. I think that success for me in year one is is being a playoff team. You know, get yourself in a playoff spot and get that experience. Um, it's super valuable uh, as an organization to set that tone of that. That's that's who we are. That's what we are. We are a playoff organization. Um, and so hopefully we can set that from year one. Once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. You know, I, I don't want to say that, hey, you know, we want to be a, a top three team in the league, right? Because that's it's a little disrespectful to like, you know, Louisville and Charleston and these in Tampa, these teams that have been doing it for, you know, many, many years and have very good rosters already in place and things. Can we do it? Of course. Um, you know, but, you know, I think the, the realistic goal is to be, can we be a playoff team? show up and compete against these teams week in and week out and give ourselves a chance there in the playoffs to make a run and do something special. Your first career ever goal in the MLS is the stuff of legends, having scored an absolute wonder goal from 60 yards out against TFC. Kano claims he was open on the left side. Was he? To be fair, I've looked at it and he is wide open, but shooting was always a better option than passing it to Kano. So... (laughs) (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to join Raising Anchor. We can't wait to catch up with you as the season unfolds. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We appreciate the support of the club. um, And and happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays. You can find us on Twitter, Threads, and TikTok at RIFC Podcast. We're also on Instagram at Raising Anchor. And we have a website, www.raisinganchorpodcast.com. 